And so we were skeptical and said, okay, well, let's get the thinnest possible film that we can we can have out there. Um, and we, we got a sample and it was just, it was, um, you could hear it crinkle when you moved it and it wasn't stretchy. And so we said, we don't want to use a plastic film. We want maximum comfort and breathability. And so that's when we came up with um, the notion of our current fabric. And so we were working with different companies and you know, testing out different samples and different performance finishes on the fabric and realized we don't need a total rain jacket because you're not in a downpour when you're wearing the underwear. You know, all you really need is an extra backup. And so um, so that's the genesis of our, our patent. And so when we realized that it really was something new that people hadn't done before, um, we turned to our advisor and, and he was very supportive and has written, you know, 40 to 50 patents before wow. in... Um, in te technical fabrics and, and innovative products. So um, it was a very hands-on process. I was extreme, extremely involved in um, writing out the claims and um, doing all of the testing on our fabric to be able to measure its performance and, and document that in the patent. And so, of course, we would do, um, in the beginning, we did a provisional patent. So it's slightly simpler than a real patent, and um, it's cheaper to file. So it gives you an extra year to continue um, researching and refining your product before you're forced to pay the higher fees and go into more depth into filing the actual patent. So we've done that process a couple of times now, and um, you know it, it's crazy. It's a different world. You really learn a lot, and um, we were fortunate to have good advisors who um, explained it, and so I wasn't um, walking around in the dark. So, and you might have mentioned this, but the advisor piece, how did you actually find that advisor? Um, that was a connection from our professor in the entrepreneurship class. And, um, you know, it's amazing when you start a company and you start doing something, um, you talk about it all the time. I joke in college my last year, I talked about underwear 24-7. <laughs> um, but what I, you know, but what I found is people you would never expect know someone who works in underwear, or they know someone who works in fabrics. And so um, for us, a lot of times connections came um, when you didn't expect it. And, and people are always very willing to help and put you in touch with people. Um, so definitely, I think when you're doing a startup, you know, talk about it as much as possible, because you never know when you're where you'll find um, that great advisor. So true. Now, as far as the, um, the the people helping you out, do you feel like you were at an advantage at all that you are a young female entrepreneur? You're this college girl that was trying to build this product. Do you think that played a part in any of it? Um, I, yeah, I do think people are very willing to help and um, perhaps they're more intrigued that I'm, um, I'm young and that I'm female. And so um, I, I think it's a double-edged sword. And so on the one hand, if they take you seriously, they're really impressed and, and they're willing to go more out of their way for you. Um, and on the other hand, when they when someone first looks at me, they aren't going to immediately assume um, that we have really huge goals and this greater mission to build the company and to reach millions of women. And so it's something that I have to spell out to someone to tell them that, yes, I know what I'm talking about. And yes, we've done all the financials and the business plan and patents and we have funding and, and you know all of these things that you have to spell out. So someone takes you seriously because they won't assume that by automatically looking at you. But once you've done that work, then I do think that you know being young and being female, um, it can be an advantage. 
I think that's interesting. Now, as far as the, the, okay, so we talked about the patents. I want to talk about change since that is what this episode is about. Uh, like I mentioned earlier on that I first found you, um, when you were nominated or uh, elected or featured as one of the the people to watch in 2012, which you seriously were, you definitely um, lived out to that to that title, and um, you were sexy period first. Now you're dear Kate. What was why the why the rebrand? Sure. So um, that's an interesting story in the sense that we launched sexy period and. Um, when we launched it, we knew that the name was a brand that had the potential to ruffle feathers. And so I, I like the fact that um, Sexy Period pushed the envelope. Um, our product is something new, something that people weren't used to, and I think it was a very fitting name when we first went on the market. Um, and near the end of our first year of sales, we started to evaluate um, you know, where those sales were coming from and really reflect on the different pieces of feedback that we'd gotten from um, customers and different women who we'd spoken to. And what we found is that a lot of mothers were telling us, um, you know, a couple different things. They were saying, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, I just had a baby and it was pressing on my bladder for nine months and it doesn't work the same anymore. <laughs> and so um, I've never had kids, but I started interviewing new moms and finding out all of the crazy things that happen to your body um, when you have a child. And, you know, and I'm like, I'm rethinking the decision now personally, but, <laughs> but I realized that there's this huge need for while women are pregnant. Um, you have a lot of pressure with the baby pressing on your bladder. And then after, you know, directly after the, del the delivery, um, you know, and we started doing research and found that actually um, one in three women, five, five years later, after they've given birth their first time, are still experiencing light bladder leakage on a regular basis. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting topic. And, um, you know, I always joke, I never thought that I would go into an industry that's more taboo than periods and menstruation. Um, you know, like for the first year and a half when we were doing all of our research and development, my mother couldn't tell anyone what I did for a living. <laughs> she would just say, oh, Julie's invented a new fabric um, for women's apparel, and you'll have to talk with her about it. So, <laughs> so um, it was this huge need that, you know, no one talks about and I had no idea about, you know, our moms and, and sisters and women don't tell us about these things, but um, there is a huge market in um, the maternity segment. And so we wanted a name for the underwear because it works great for all types of, um, of issues out there. And so we wanted a name for the underwear that didn't really um, pigeonhole us into the period market. And on, on the other side, we also heard from moms that they really wanted to buy the underwear for their teenage daughters. You know, they would say, I can't believe this would be so wonderful if there were a product out there um, when I was 13 and I would love to buy this for my daughter. She's 12. You know, do you have a line that doesn't have the word sexy in it? And so we realized we wanted to create one strong, cohesive brand that appealed to women of all ages. So we went to the drawing board, and um, that's when we started tossing out different names. So um, I don't know if, if you know this. You probably do, Jen, if you've been following us. But for the listeners out there, we actually went through a lot of change in 2012 because we went through three different brand names. So we went from Sexy Period, and then our first um, or our second brand that we tried to introduce was called Underbrella. So we thought it was very fitting, you know, it's an umbrella that you wear underneath, 
Um, we did our whole website, our photo shoot, all of our branding. And a couple weeks before we were slated to launch sales, we came across a trademark conflict. So we had to haul everything and deal with that and figure out if we wanted to proceed with the Underbrella brand or if we needed to rebrand. So it was pretty tough. Um, but we ended up deciding that we needed to pick a different name. So I think everything happens for a reason. I think we're very lucky that we realized that before we actually launched the Underbrella line and we were able to go back to the drawing board yet a third time and, um, and say, okay, what, what do we want to call the brand? And that's how Dear Kate came about. And so um, it, was, it was crazy. It was a whirlwind, really the last... Um, three months of 2012, um, creating the brand, having it come to life and getting the website up, getting the packaging done. Um, you know, everything was just so last minute, but, um, I was determined, you know, we have to get this out before holiday of, um, 2012 and we did it. I love the the rebrand because I think there's a, an area on your website. I can't remember which exact area it is, but it's a dear Kate and there's letters to, to Kate. I thought that was so smart. It's such a cute brand. Uh, but there's that's actually a question that we get a lot with young female entrepreneurs, and that is um, the rebranding process. So you, you, you decide, okay, this name is wrong for me, whether it's because you, know, you want your teenagers and you want maternity market to be in there, or it's just that you um, maybe are changing the direction of your business just a little bit. What kind of process, because there people are worried about Twitter handles, so you're building these profiles, and this, I mean, the brand goes further, farther now than just name recognition and colors and cute website design. You actually have a community that follows you on specific platforms in which you're able to market to. What kind of process did you go through to change things, to let people know, to tell your community, hey, this is what's going on with our products? Well, I think it's very important on social media to um, keep your followers and your fans informed and up to date. So, um, you know, we sent multiple um, emails and different Facebook posts out announcing that, hey, we have really big news coming. We're so excited. Um, and so we got them engaged and excited about it, too, rather than, um, you know, all of a sudden hey, guess what? Oh, my God, we changed our name, and now we're Dear Kate. Um, <laughs> so I think it's really important to to hold hands with your followers and and um, get them excited about it, you know, let them in on the secret um, and make them feel special because they're in the know and, and they are with you along this process. Um, I will say that we we didn't always do the best thing in terms of switching followers over um, because it's tempting – I can't remember which brand it was, but one of them, we created a new Facebook page and created a new Twitter account rather than converting the old accounts into the new name. And on one hand, um, you would think, okay, well, maybe that causes less confusion because both brands are out there and they can really see that, um, you know, what's going on. But um, I really recommend the second time we did it, we actually just converted all of our followers over to the new name. Um, and you can literally switch the handle of your Twitter account and your Facebook page and the name and everything um, over to a new brand and carry all of your followers. So I think as long as you keep them informed, that's um, one of the best, that's the best way to go. 
Yeah, we uh, at our company, Ovali, we had Ovali TV and Ovali Cloud Services because we had two, we have two separate brands really, and we were trying to combine them on one Facebook page. And so we did go through the process of combining them. And I think you had to provide Facebook with like your business license or your, your power bill or something like that that had your name formally on there. Uh, so it's definitely, uh, you can do that. And I think a lot of people do that mistake where they create new pieces and you have to tell your community, hey guys, come over here. So that's a lot of time and effort to do that. Something that we have to deal with now, I guess. It's not that, I mean, it's not that bad because it's free, relatively free market. Of course, it's the time that you have to pay for it. But um, so apart from Dear Kate, you also co-founded the PVD Lady Project, which I think is really interesting because Rhode Island, i that's not really the um the fashion mecca of the u.s uh tell us about the mission behind the project and how you started that sure um so so i graduated from brown and i was living in providence um and we decided to stay here because our first investors were located in providence and um, we were actually working very closely with some of our fabric manufacturers one of whom is based in rhode island so it made sense during the time of product development that we would stay here um, because we love the community and it's a little cheaper than being in New York, but it really is only a three-hour train ride from New York. So I can get to the city um, whenever I need to. And so it ha the Providence Lady Project came about because, um, you know, for a few years I had been going to networking events and was pretty active in the Providence community. But oftentimes, if it was a business-focused event, I felt that I was, you know, the only one or two women in the room among a sea full of men. Um, or if there were women there, they tended to be, um, you know, in their 40s and 50s and, and really very experienced. And so I, you know, I thought to myself, and I ended up meeting um, Sierra Barter, who's the co-founder of the Providence Lady Project, um, and she runs Clementine Lime, which is a designing and organizing service. And so we started chatting and, you know, and I was like, I'm sure there are more um, ambitious young female entrepreneurs who, you know, maybe they're in the art scene or, um, you know, whatever, but they've got, they've got to be here. And, and how do we find them? And how do we turn Providence into this um, great community for young women who are starting businesses? And so that's how, you know, we were having waffles for brunch one morning downtown at this cafe. And, and we're like, you know, what if we do something crazy like, you know, the Lady Project? Um, and it really went from there. So, you know, we had the first event in February this year. And, um, you know, we were shocked. We had about 50 people who showed up. And so I'm saying, where are all these people coming from? <laughs> um, and it really has grown from there. So we have about um, one event per month. We actually just did event. Um, an event at J. Crew at the beginning of December. We had a, a style event, but they really range from style to um, tech oriented to January. We're doing um, goals for the new year and we're doing um, two different type of workout classes that you can take a yoga class or a 305 fitness class, which is like a, a really crazy dance workout party. Um, <laughs> So also started by a female entrepreneur who's in New York. So check out 305 Fitness if you're in New York. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where we've met so many amazing people through the project and um, it really is about inspiring each other and connecting um, with young, young women, but also with women who are experienced. And um, I really believe that, you know, a mentor 
is is huge for um, someone who's starting out in business. But I like to recognize that I think young young people have a lot to give to older mentors too, in um, in the way of ideas and inspiration. So we like to connect women across all different types of industries and providence and, and do it in a really fun and different way um, that hasn't been done before. So I'm excited to see, you know, what 2013 brings for Dear Kate and also for um, the Lady Project and how, you know, we can support each other. Well, with that in mind, 2013, are there is there any other changes, New Year's resolutions that are your personal New Year's res- resolutions maybe or with the brand changes that are going to happen or that we can get like a sneak peek into? Sure. Um, so I, you know, I think running a startup um, is one of those jobs where you're always flying by the seat of your pants. And <laughs> you tend like you have it all together, but um, if you're really doing your job, you're reacting to everything that your customers are telling you and, and what's selling and what's not selling. And so um, we're really excited about introducing a few new styles in the next couple months. Um, we're actually, we were looking at different laces in the office today and um, envisioning what they'll look like in different colors. So um, that's what we'll be working on in the short term. And, um, you know, I really can't predict what type of changes will come after that, but I'm excited to see what they are. And um, yeah, I mean, realistically, I would say my personal New Year's resolution is to think in at the beginning of every day, um, think about what is the most important thing that I have to get done that day and just dive in and do it um, because I don't want to spend too much time organizing my day before I before I get to it. And so um, I, I started with Started actually got a head start. Started a couple days early and um, knocked off an important thing this morning. So I'm hoping to keep it up. All right. So we have to end with since you brought it up, you're incredibly uh, focused and goal oriented. You started off with the Girl Scout cookies, where you had certain amounts that you wanted to be able to sell, and you hit your goal each time. And I read this article I was telling you about earlier in the in I, the Brown newspaper, Brown University's newspaper, and. Um, it was saying how you do the same kind of goal setting for yourself or you're incredibly disciplined really in that whether it's to lose the freshman 15 or if it's to sell cookies. Can you give someone um, like your number one tip as far as setting a goal or setting a New Year's resolution and sticking to it? Hmm. Um, let's see. What is my number one tip? Um, I would say... I would say just believe in yourself and go for it because, um, you know, you may think it's a really big goal in the beginning. I did, you know, um, I didn't set out in the beginning to sell 10,000 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. Um, but if you're persistent and, and you work really hard at it, then you'll make it. And, um, you know, there have been some really crazy times um, over the last few years in the business where probably anyone um, with, you know, with, um, half of mine would say, oh, this is ridiculous. Um, I'm going, (laughs) why, why am I doing this? Um, but I think that being persistent and being someone who follows through, you know, doing things when you say you're going to do them, whether it's, whether you've promised someone else you'll do it or whether you've promised yourself that you'll do it, um, is really important. So, you know, don't let yourself down and, um, be persistent and, you know, Hey, set a goal and, um, 
you know, the, the most important thing is actually to set the goal because research has shown that women who set in, in Girl Scout Cookies, specifically girls who set goals of how many boxes they're going to sell, regardless of whether or not they make their goal, they consistently sell more cookies than girls who don't set goals. So I think that's an important lesson in the real world that even if you don't make your goal, it's really important to set it and, you know, be, um, be easy on yourself. If you don't make it within the time frame that you wanted to make it, um, Give yourself a few more weeks or months and um, go out there and, and, and keep trying. Fantastic. So we've been watching for the last 30 minutes Julie Siegel of Dear Kate's, and that's at dearkates.com. Julie, where else can we find you online? So I am on Twitter at Julie Siegel and um, also on Facebook. So please don't hesitate to drop a note if you have any questions, um, and I will look forward to meeting you. Julie, thank you so much for being on the live stream. I hope, I mean, I, I'm i excited to see big things coming out of DearKates.com. I think that's such an awesome line and just such an incredible backstory. And I wish you the best of luck in the new year. Thanks so much, Jen. Happy 2013. Thank you. So you've been watching Julie Siegel again of DearKates.com. This is Jennifer Dono of YoungFemaleEntrepreneurs.com with our weekly live show that happens every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9, 9 Eastern over at Live.YoungFemaleEntrepreneurs.com. Next Thursday, don't forget that Mike Michalowicz of uh, The Pumpkin Plan, the book that we read with the book Bootstrap Book Club, he's going to be on live with Jules and Christina of Kickstart Kitchen. So make sure that you tune in next Thursday night as well. Thank you so much for watching, and you can find the replays if you didn't get to watch the whole thing over on YouTube and on iTunes tomorrow.